Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and my guest today is Rome Shadenlu. Shadanlu? Shadenlu. I don't have any idea how to say her last name, and I am feeling pings of embarrassment right now, but that's her name, Rome Shadenlu. Gosh. I should check on that next time. Anyway, Rome is a psychedelic therapist. She specializes in CPTSD and attachment injury. She studied holistic psychology. She's got a focus in psychoneuroimmunology, working to ease chronic pain rooted in the emotional life of the mind. She's also a death doula. She has been taught and informed by various modalities, including internal family systems, reparenting work, quantum healing. In this conversation, we dive into straight into her childhood trauma, actually. She has a crazy story about when she was born. Her birth story is wild and I think informs and clarifies her passion for healing and for helping and for working with trauma in people. Currently, she runs a rad company called Mycology Psychology, which utilizes psilocybin and therapy, essentially, to do and to facilitate and to support deep healing work. So we talk in this conversation about all of that stuff, She has this great line that we are all victims of victims. We dive deep into trauma, what it means, how it's stored in the body. We talk about psychedelics a little bit. And uh, I was pretty honored because this is Rome's very first ever time on a podcast. And so you will notice, or you might hear in the first two to three to four minutes, there are a little bit of nerves on her part. And then, she drops in and straight up spits fiery wisdom for about 40 minutes there. And this conversation's really good. After we stopped recording, I told her, yo, you're good at this. That was amazing. And I know we'll help a lot of people. And I mean that. So enjoy this conversation with Rome Shadenlu. Shadenlu? All right. We are officially underway, my friend. This is your very first podcast. I was just told I'm so honored and excited. I'm excited. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And for those that don't know you, and I guess with the asterisk that this might be anonymous depending on how it goes, but who are you? What's your deal? Oh, God. How do you describe yourself? Who am I? Uh, I ask that every day. But I think uh, in terms of 3D reality, my name is Rome. <laughs> and uh, I specialize in holistic psychology and integration of psychedelics. Uh, my interests are um, how childhood trauma specifically plays out through the span of a lifetime in relationships uh, with others, with yourself and with your body. 
um, how it presents um, in work and um, in survival. So I myself, like many other people who are helpers, I call them, had a very challenging time uh, growing up. Um, I think I think in order to understand what healing is, you have to really understand what a wound is. And there is no healing without a wound. So, and the secret bonus is that when you've done your own healing work and you, you know, navigated that topography, you can be a better guide um, for others. So it's really not about fixing anybody. I don't have the power to do that. I don't think anybody has the power to do that. It's just kind of being a guide on this thing called life and healing journey and relating with each other or what I like to call co-piloting. And I run a, a microdosing company and we have blends that are put together by a mycologist with a background in um, neuroscience. And uh, we really, really believe in integration because I think it was Rick Doblin that said, it's not the psychedelics, it's the therapy enhanced by the psychedelics. So really it's not just taking them and hoping that they will do something for you. They will give you a leg up. They will put the training wheels on your bike, but you still have to pedal. And, um, and you're creating new neural pathways. So it's going to give you an opportunity and take that opportunity to make new choices and build new habits. So outside of that, who am I? I grew up in LA. Um, I'm an immigrant from Iran. I was born in a war and I love chihuahuas. <laughs> I think they're the best. I love that. I think you're the second Iranian woman I've had on the podcast. The first one is uh, Farinaz Lari, a world champion kickboxer. Oh my God. I love her. I don't know her, but I love her. You love her. I think you have similar I think vibe. I would. Yeah. Well, welcome to the pod. I already have approximately a hundred questions for you. But I'm curious if you would be open to diving more into your childhood trauma. You, you said that you alluded oh, to yeah. surviving childhood trauma and that you said yes. you were born in a war. Yes. Do you mind expanding on that? We're going to go right for it. Okay. I mean, let's do it. I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm a simple man. I see a target and I was like, may as well just throw it at target. I mean, I really threw it out there for, for you. It was easy. Like you know, it was phrase, a lot. I was born in a war. That's a captivating sentence. Yes. I feel like it demands um, follow-up. It for sure does. Um, so in Iran, there was a revolution that started in 1979, I believe. Um, and simultaneously, we went to war with Iraq. And my family, especially on my mother's side, was very wealthy. Glenn, you, you will hear this story a lot from Iranian immigrants. They had great wealth in Iran and they had to leave it all behind. But my mom was pregnant when the revolution and the war broke out. I'm sorry, she got pregnant right as it was breaking out. And my grandfather had just died, and which is also kind of made me really fascinated with in utero trauma 
because it's an epigenetic thing. And I don't know if I need to, I think, I feel like your audience knows what these things are. But please but define it my, just, just in case. It's, it's trauma that is passed down uh, through genetic expression. And so what, one of my favorite ways of looking at it is I was, or you were, Jeremy, actually in your grandmother's stomach. I don't know if you know this, but your mother had all of her eggs already developed when she was in utero in your grandmother's uterus. And you were one of those eggs. So what your grandmother was going through (laughs) when she was pregnant with your mother is imprinted in some of you. So this is what they talk about generational trauma, ancestral trauma. Um, it's, it's partially nature and it's partially nurture. Like we have these triggers that are in our DNA and they get expressed through life events. Uh, for example, if someone hits their child and their child, that's how they know how to parent and that's, that's, they hit their child and they hit their child, but there's a whole other bunch of complex things that happen that are really above my pay grade to even explain, um, where these genetic expressions go off and there's mental illness, there's addiction, uh, there's physical illness, but I digress. I was in my mom's stomach when, uh, she was freshly grieving my grandfather's passing and the revolution broke out. And my dad was in prison for conspiracy to overthrow the government, which was not true. So there was a lot of trauma while she was pregnant with me. And then on the night she went into labor, uh, we were getting bombed. And so the whole city went into a blackout. And so they had to move her to the basement of the hospital and our doctor couldn't make it because he was hiding somewhere. And uh, she basically uh, got no epidural, which was not her choice, which can be very traumatic because if you're expecting that and you want that, um, you know, it's, it can be incredibly, incredibly traumatic for a woman to go through birth without that assistance if they don't want to. Um, she was threatening to throw herself off the gurney. If a doctor didn't come, if they didn't give her anything, nobody came. And for that reason, we don't know what time I was born, which <laughs> sucks because I really want to get my birth chart done. You say the astrologists listening right now are just so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. Um, I think it was November 2nd or 3rd. We don't know before midnight or after midnight. We fled to this country. My dad met us later. My parents clearly had very acute post-traumatic stress disorder by the time we all got here. And so the parenting was not happening. They were in pure survival mode and I was completely and utterly on my own. And I felt that as a child. I um, have these memories of pulling up a chair to the stove and trying to cook for myself there was a very clear sense to me that the adults were not to be trusted with my care. And I knew that. And, you know, part of it's cultural and again, part of it's traumatic, but my father was a physical disciplinarian and sometimes for absolutely no reason. And I remember thinking as a child, when he would lose control of his temper, how bad I felt for him because I saw a man that was scared. And so now that I'm older, I I see that more and more. 
And I recently heard something um, that if we zoom out, really zoom out and get a really wide perspective, we're nothing but the victims of victims. And when you really look at it that way, it is a fractal. Trauma is a fractal, but so is healing. Healing can be a fractal too. So I'm very clear that this was not by accident. This all happened for a reason. Or for the people who don't believe everything happens for a reason, I made meaning out of it. And I think, I think once something has happened, it was always meant to happen because it's happened. So that's kind of the way I like to look at it. Yeah. Well, geez, Rome, your, your mom was in labor with you as bombs were dropping in a yeah. war and her partner was imprisoned for threatening to overthrow the government and yeah. she was grieving her grandfather, her dad. Yes, her dad. Yeah, my grandfather. And then, and then was pregnant at the same time while all of this was going on. Yeah, yeah. It's and- so intense. It was intense. And I remember my dad was in solitary confinement and they kept psychologically torturing him. So when I was a kid, you know, you're a kid and your dad is napping or whatever, and you don't know, and you're really excited and you're like, dad, dad, whatever. And he would just wake up flailing his arms at me, like hitting me because he didn't know where he was. And that was very confusing. So yeah. And, you know, unfortunately that did express later in life is autoimmune disorder in me and, um, a lot of cortisol running through my body at a very young age. Um, and, and this is also another thing that I'm passionate about helping people with is like how to sit next to the pain, uh, the physical pain that comes with the mental pain, because the power of positive thinking only goes so far when your body keeps flaring up or turning on you. And for the longest time I would fight it. And now I know that my illness is my friend. My illness is here to try to get me to stop, to rest, to protect me. It doesn't really know what the context of my life is. It doesn't care what the context of my life is. It's just doing what it does. And, um, you know, I, I do a little bit of I recently got certified as a death doula. I went to this program called Anamkara, which I really highly recommend to anybody who's called to that sort of work. And when I, I just actually spoke to a woman, really incredible woman, um, and she's towards the end. And uh, she does not, tell me if I'm going off on a tangent. This is my first podcast. I will never do that, first of all. So I'm perhaps not the first host. (laughs) <laughs> Rome, shut up. Tangents are oh. so welcome here, Rome. Yeah, you're doing great. Thank you. She was, she's towards the end, but she doesn't, she feels like she could be the 0.01% miracle case that turns things around. Mm. And um, I immediately asked her about her childhood. And she told me she was afraid when she was a kid. She's like, I was always afraid for no reason. And I, told her, I don't believe that there was no reason. Children are not inherently afraid. They're actually very brave. Um, They're very expansive. And then we got into it. And of course, there were reasons for her to be afraid. And um, this fear expressed itself in her body until she eventually became ill. And now she's at the end stages. So our work together 
it's not to make her be at peace with anything other than being at peace. In other words, it's not my job to be like, yeah, you're going to make it. You're right. And it's not my job to be like, no, that's not, that's delusional. That's not my job. What we talk about is facing fear. Her work in this life has been to face fear. And I think also sometimes illness has come up to force you to heal your trauma. And um, I said, once you face your fear, one of two things are going to happen. One is, sure, you could be that miracle case because you will have healed the source of your illness. Or two, you'll pass on and you'll pass on more peacefully because you won't be fighting it. So either way, the answer is to move through the fear. And that's a lot of what microdosing can be about too. I love that you brought it back to the original like topic. The that, was good. <laughs> that was good shit right there. It's like, how, like, how are we going to go from this to what we were supposed to talk about? How do I connect these dots? You did it. <laughs> so, all right. So you were uh, born in tra- traumatic circumstances mm-hmm. to parents who were themselves victims. And so I love that line about we're all victims of victims. That's profound. and. I wasn't on the podcast, I'd maybe sit with that for a minute. Like, what the fuck did she just say to me? Uh, but it's powerful. So you're living your life. You referenced having some autoimmune stuff flare up. Mm-hmm. How did you get from that version of you to this uh, version of you now that is a psychedelic therapist? Is that the right, is that the right phrase? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like what happened there? What was the well, process? If the inference is that I healed all my autoimmune and now oh. <laughs> I'm this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like floating on a cloud. Of floating on a cloud and I've made it and I've healed and now I'm going to help other people heal themselves. No, I wish that would be really great. Um, it's, you know, there's a saying that I came up with. It's not as good as the victim of victims one, but we're not making bumper stickers here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's that I need to be well enough to help, but sick enough to understand. Dang, well enough to help, but sick enough to understand. Yeah. And what does that mean to you? It's being in the human condition with another human being and connecting from the heart. Like the people can come to me like, oh no, I know exactly how that feels. I'm going through that. I don't feel well either a lot of the time. And then something really magical happens. People open up. They trust you because you're not this figure up here being like, I'm going to heal you because I've done it. And I'm a, it's, it's just not reality. Mm. The reality is and now I'm going to bring up the Ram Dass quote. We're all just walking each other home. Mm. Humility and compassion. Yeah. And really just look, we really suffer from a lot of aloneness as a collective. And there's a lot of people promising each other a lot of things, but, you know, um, I spoke to somebody that I respect a lot and he explained to me, you can know all the fanciest modalities in the world. There's some really, really, really 
accomplished people with doctorates and degrees and licenses, but they don't know how to connect from the heart. And really, there are two things that bring a lot of healing, connection and truth. And those two things bring you into the present moment. And they really ground you. So that's what I like to offer my people because that's what was offered to me. After going through a long line of therapy, I've been in therapy since I was nine. We can, I mean, it's a really funny story of why I went into therapy, but I had a lot of experts, quote unquote, telling me I had this, telling me I had that. I was unwell in this way, you know, and it really just made me feel like there was something wrong with me. And it made me feel like I was an identified patient. And I started living my life like I was an identified patient, really, really dipping into that victim consciousness. I was like, okay, I'm broken. And I guess an expert's going to fix me. There's no empowerment in that. There's no agency in that. And um, that's why I would say help people heal themselves because you can't heal without empowerment. You can't heal without being a little bit locus of control. Um, Then I found some incredible people that taught me that, no, like I'm going to heal myself. And it's going to take as long as it takes. And healing looks different for everybody. Um, No, for me, healing doesn't mean I'm going to go run a triathlon. I'm not even interested in that. Healing for me means not having so much pain on a regular basis, which I've achieved for periods of time. But I'm okay with it either way, because now I've reframed it as pain as my teacher. And maybe that's all the healing I need. You're good at this podcast thing, Rome. Oh, just cool. quietly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, have, I mean, I have to ask you about the, the funny story about why you're in therapy as a nine-year-old, though. Okay, this is this is what might make this go anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I developed this like really weird fear of ghosts when I was a kid, and specifically, specifically Marilyn Monroe. So what happened was my grandma took me to the cemetery and I saw Marilyn Monroe's grave and I knew what she looked like. And so I started such a vivid imagination. I just started being like, what does she look like behind that mausoleum? What does she look like now? It was the first time I had seen the grave of a person who I knew what they looked like in real life. And I felt like a little creeped out and I felt really fascinated. And I already had this kind of, strange fascination with death and what it means. I remember being in the first grade and I remember running up to my mom really excitedly and being like, mom, I figured out how to cure death. And she was like, how? I'm like, you just shoot people up with orange juice. Just keep shooting them up with orange juice. They will come back. Because whenever I was sick, they would give me orange juice. They're like, this is going to make you better. I'm like, well, if you just put someone on an orange juice IV, that'll bring them back. So I remember going home that night and having the most horrific nightmare I've ever had after the cemetery visit. It was a nightmare that just made me afraid to even be in the house during the day for the next year. And I couldn't focus on anything. I was just fixated on this death thing really, really bad. So they took me to a therapist and the therapist recommended that my mom would take me to the cemetery more often, like a 
exposure therapy. So she dropped me off at the the cemetery after school. And she'd like come back half an hour later. (laughs) And, uh, and it kind of worked. I, I, I got used to the idea of a cemetery, but jokes on her, because by the time I got into sixth grade, I, um, on career day, they said to go find a mentor in the field that you want to, you know, be a professional in. And I was like, I want to be a mortician. And I found this guy named Jerry Merrick at Groman Mortuaries. And I had my mom take me to his mortuary so I can interview him. And she was so freaked out in the waiting room. Like she was like holding her Chanel purse tightly. Right? <laughs> and uh, no joke. Like I was trying to calm her down. I'm like, it's okay that we're here. And Jerry Merrick walks out with two bloody gloves and blood all over his uh, coat thingy. And he goes, sorry, car accident. I'll be right with you. Shrugs and walks out. <laughs> like a movie scene. It was incredible. It was amazing. <laughs> and he wouldn't let us leave. He was so excited that we were there and asking him questions. And my mom in Farsi just kept going, Rome, let's go. Rome, let's go. Because she was so freaked out. I put my mom through a lot. Mm. Yeah. Actually interviewed a mortician on the on the podcast named Jeremy Allen, who is fantastic. It's such it a good episode. Cool. If yeah. anyone listening is obsessed with death, also uh, it's a good one. Tells this beautiful yeah. story of um, embalming his grandpa. What? Yeah, yeah, really beautiful story. He's good. Um, anyway, so back on track. Approximately, mm-hmm. you are. Going to therapy as a nine-year-old for many years, you started to, uh, it sounds like your identity was shaped by the illness or by what disease or, or the, what these experts were telling you, right? Yeah. So your identity was wrapped up in this yes. broken victim consciousness. Yes. Um, and then what shifted for you where you started getting into psychedelics, uh, somatic therapy or whatever you would describe it as like I'm smiling yeah this is the real me I yes I was I was wrapped up in victim consciousness but I was also it's important to say I was victimized there's this there's this in-between part because some people don't want to even acknowledge they've been victimized because they're so afraid of victim consciousness and then there's some mm. people that live in it look what happened to me look what happened to me And I really believe before we dive into that, the people who can't let go what happened to them, it's not them. It's themselves as a child inside of them still trying to get hurt. And that's why. And they think if they move on, that they too will have abandoned that hurt inner child and moved on without them. That's my theory. Can you say more about that? Sure. So I can only use myself as as an example. but. You know, when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to cry. I wasn't allowed to have feelings. My feelings didn't really matter very much. Uh, I was very neglected, right? So frozen in time is a five-year-old me that is neglected and is not being heard and is not cared for. So I carry that five-year-old child inside of me. And now 
as an adult who finally has some agency, I'm like, look, I was victimized. We were victimized. She was victimized. You need to listen, but you still, you tend to get caught up in this hypnosis, this trance, this programming of being victimized so much because she needs to be heard so badly that you are no longer actually taking care of her. You're no, no longer actually showing up as the parent to your inner child that is resourced. You're sitting in the muck with your child and you're doing it as a codependent parent being like, well, if I tell my kid, my inner child that we're okay, I'm invalidating her feelings and she is going to get rewounded by that. So does that make sense? Yeah, that's some deep shit, my friend, right? Uh, (laughs) So let me attempt to describe what I think I'm hearing just to clarify. Okay. So, okay. so there's this uh, child. So the younger version of you that was victimized, that was traumatized, yeah. is stuck in the past inside yeah. of your own body somewhere. Yeah. This is like trauma is stored in the body idea. Right. And we have this we have this perspective that says like, no, no, like reparent the inner child by soothing saying everything's fine you're okay chin up buttercup like just be positive yeah we're good yeah and what you're suggesting is that that relationship is itself codependent because you as the adult are uncomfortable feeling the things that the inner child needs to communicate it's the other way and i'll tell you okay so you want to reparent your inner child let me put it in, in in this way that's really simple your inner child is scared of you moving on without them if you heal. So healing is abandoning the inner child. There's a part of you that believes that. And that part of you lives in your nervous system. Gotcha. Right? So it's not true. And that's why reparenting is an ongoing process. It's getting the little kid to trust you again. It's getting the little kid to want to follow you and listen to you by giving them unconditional love, by saying, I hear you. I know you're hurting but we're going to be okay. You've got me. I'm not going to abandon you, right? Instead of sitting in the sand box with your inner child and crying together ad infinitum. So there's, there's a balance there. And again, I want to bring up the nervous system because sometimes your nervous system doesn't let you move on. Your nervous system, you're in freeze, you're in flight, you're in fight, you're in fawn. There are all these mechanisms that are in survival. And I say that that frozen inner child lives in that part of the nervous system too. So, you know, um, I don't feel like, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody that could possibly describe this way better than I am. I've never said it out loud before, but, um, it came to me in a meditation. So I talked to my inner child and I said, Hey, if I get better, it doesn't mean that the bad thing didn't happen to you. And I've forgotten. I'm still going to be here for you. And we're going to be happy together and I'm not going to leave you. And if you're sad, I'm still not going to leave you. You can have whatever feelings you want, but as your parent, I'm going to be resourced and I'm going to show up for you and I'm going to guide you instead of making, letting you make all the decisions because the inner child can decide, you know, to keep you into victim consciousness. The inner child can decide to pick all the wrong partners for you 
the inner child can, and I don't even want to use the word decide. The inner child doesn't decide. It just does. Influences. Influences, yeah. So what brought me out of that phase? So I got sober at 21 and I went into AA and AA is a, the 12 steps I just want to say are magical. It, there are, uh, I think everybody should do the 12 steps, whether they're sober or not. It really, um, it's a really great template for the way to live your life. It's extremely spiritual. It's extremely uh, built in integrity. So there's my disclaimer. Then I went into AA <laughs> and I was told a lot, you're an addict, you're an alcoholic, you have a broken brain. Don't trust your own decisions. And that's fine in the first month, but they never really stop saying it to you. And you have to ask your sponsor permission for absolutely everything, including taking an Advil. And, you know, I was on some antidepressants and I had a sponsor tell me to stop taking them, which resulted in a really bad detox that had me hospitalized. It was just not trauma-informed program. And it can be really disempowering. And it's not meant to be. It's the way things are interpreted by the people. So it's extremely, I'm an addict. I have a disease. I have no choice. I have to ask everyone for permission for everything. I have to lean on everything for everything. And again, where does that take us again? There's no empowerment. There's no self-empowerment in that. So at 15 years of sobriety, I was suicidal and I um, was thinking to myself, man, I did everything they told me to do. I, I did the 12 steps like maybe 20 times. I sponsored over 50 girls. I showed up and I made coffee. I swept the floor, went to meetings every day. I did everything that they told me to do and I want to die. And I don't know why. And um, so which I started, of those, sorry to interrupt, which yeah. of those two things, in your opinion, was the most confronting, the, the desire to die or the not knowing why? The not knowing why. The not knowing why this thing didn't work for me. That was the scary. Know, it was very scary because you know, we have something called the promises in AA where they just promise you that if you do all this stuff, you're going to be not only great, but amazing. Right. And I was going to meetings and I wanted to go home and die or drink. It was like backfiring on me. So there's a lot of spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing to me makes people feel very broken. Like be positive. Well, I can't. Oh, I must be broken. No. How about I can't always be positive. It's part of the human condition. How about I have some trauma to work through? And how about this alcohol or these drugs are actually helping me soothe myself because I don't have any other tools. Not just you're an addict and broken, right? And that was a really good question. You're good at this podcast thing thanks. too. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> so I remember starting to do research on ways to die. But I also started doing research on alternative methods, anything. It was like a last ditch effort. And I looked up something called ayahuasca. 
And uh, I thought, hey, you know, if I'm going to like off myself, I might as well go try this first. Seems more reasonable, right? But it wasn't. It's not more reasonable because if you kill yourself in AA, people just kind of go, oh, you know, bless them. You know, the disease got to them. We'll miss them. They were such a shining light. If you go off to Peru to do ayahuasca, it was, mm, they couldn't cut it. They're not sober anymore and they're not part of our community anymore. So I was taking a really big risk because I knew that I could lose my community. I could lose my quote unquote sober time, which I don't really care about anymore. I'm putting a number of days on it. That to me is ego anyway. Um, and so I went and I had this amazing sponsor who I thought was going to say to me, well, if you go, I'm not going to be your sponsor anymore. But this man is so special. He had 35 years in the program. Um, and he said to me, Rome, go. Go, go save your life. You clearly like they're not doing this to get high. <laughs> and I was in shock that he said that. And uh, I called my mom and I told her what I wanted to do. And at the time I didn't have very much money. So she paid for my plane ticket, not knowing anything about what I was talking about. I want to go to Peru to drink a psychedelic. Like I'm, I know I was in the program and all I talked about was being sober, but now I want to go do psychedelics. Buy me a plane ticket, please. Um, so she did. And I went and I remember getting a few messages on the first night. One was, I finally understood the 12 steps, which was super ironic. I had to take drugs to understand the 12 steps. And because uh, I was coming to it from a really cognitive place before. And I was finally able to connect with my heart, which is why I'm such a big fan of connecting from the heart, because I finally understood. Um, second thing I got was to not run around telling everyone that they have to do ayahuasca. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I saw a rainbow fractal of myself and I heard, don't tell them, just show them. And then thirdly, um, I had this moment where one of the facilitators was rubbing my back with her hand and I felt many hands on me and I felt very loved and held. And I started crying like rivers. It felt like I was crying rivers and suddenly it became an octopus just rubbing me comfortingly with all its tentacles and the octopus said I'm your mother now don't worry I have enough arms to take care of you and myself and everything else and I finally got it I my mom didn't have enough arms you know she was suffering and I felt I had to take care of her too because I thought that if I could fix them, they could finally show up for me. And that, of course, never happened. Because that's not the way it works. Because it's not the child's job to be the parent. Um, so that was a really reparative moment for me. And so now I always refer to my internal family system's mom as being an octopus. You know, it's my imagined, idealized mom. So I came back from that trip. 
everyone in my family was like, you're a completely different person. Thank God. <laughs> like in a good way. In an amazing way. I wanted to live. My body didn't hurt anymore. Um, I was able to do things. I was really, really happy. And um, two months later, my chihuahua <laughs> passed away. And I remember making my dog promise me not to leave me until either I left or I felt better. And he kept his promise, I guess. I don't know how these things work, but that just put me on this long path of self-discovery. And I worked with some incredible therapists, incredible psychedelics, because I changed inside. I started attracting different people. Um, less egoic, less predatory people started coming my way. And not to say I ever deserved that, but it's what I thought I deserved. Mm. So when you change, the people around you either change or the people around you change. And, um, you know, this past couple of years in the pandemic, I really came to grips with the victim consciousness piece. Because I really do sometimes regress into the hurt child and I just want to get hugged and that's it. But I'm an adult now and, um, and there's got to be like this happy medium, right? There's times to cry and there's times to move forward and I'm still finding that balance myself. Um, and so sometimes I get clients that they can't really get to the healing piece because they're not really done grieving and that's okay. We, we give time for that. It's always at your own pace, always at your own pace. But I recognize what's happening because I've been through it. I also know people that have been in that place for 30 years and maybe in that place until they die. And you know what? Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Hmm. You just meet people where they're at. So like, what do you do now? Like, how do you describe your work? And I suppose maybe just to continue that journey, did ayahuasca change your life? Started diving a little bit deeper into alternative ways of living, being, healing, et cetera. Yeah. And you found psilocybin? Yeah. At some point? Yeah. Yeah, I found psilocybin. Which for um, those listening is the hallucinogenic magic mushrooms. Yes. Uh, that's what psilocybin is. Yes. And then, uh, then what happened? Because now you're in charge of a, a company, and you're there's people working for you, and you have clients all yeah. over. And yeah, I mean, I I don't. I guess nobody works for me. That's um, that's my mistake. And we have. Um, I know it looks that way, but really, what it is is we bring in these incredible practitioners and kind of our mission together is to spread the medicine into the world and create, you know how like the mushrooms have mycelium that connect them. It's like a network. So we're part of the mycelium network and we, we just try to get the medicine out there to people and give them support. Um, so you go to the best therapist in the world and this was my experience. I was going and doing all sorts of self-help stuff. My nervous system was like, we're not doing this. We're not able to take this in. There's too much trauma. There's too much hypervigilance. You're too busy 
soothing yourself to get any messages. You're in protection rather than connection. So what we're offering is not only these incredible therapists, but a medicine that can really make your nervous system amenable to the therapy, really connect you to your heart and connect with another person, really get down to the roots. Um, so yeah, our company is called Mycology Psychology. On Instagram, it's at Mycology Psychology. Um, Such a good name, w- by the way. Yeah. You know what? Thank you for saying that. Such a good name. That's partially why I actually wanted to have you on the podcast. Or like, we booked that first call a couple months ago or whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's a dope name. I went, Thank you. Right. I couldn't believe nobody else had thought of it, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But so for those listening, mycology, I believe, is like the study of fungi. Yes, precisely. A mushroom, like psilocybin, or psilocybin is the drug in the mushrooms that you... Yeah, it's, it's yeah, psilocin, the psilocybin, and the mushrooms. Yes. And you combine uh, that with traditional talk therapy? Yeah, well, not traditional talk therapy, because just talk therapy, I don't personally believe, from my own experience, doesn't really move the needle for trauma. Gotcha. Um, because again, your nervous system is not able to take in the talk therapy. What ends up happening, and I think a lot of people can listening can really relate to this. You go to a therapist every single week and you're like, this is what happened this week. And this person's pissing me off again. And this was my childhood. Okay, see you next week. You come back in. Oh, I was thinking about my childhood again the other day. And so this is what I ate for lunch today. And it's like, okay, cool. See you next week. And then a lot of people start getting the sense of like, what are we doing here? Now, initially, it's a wonderful thing because having a safe relationship with another human being that's non, um, con- not conditional, uh, non-judgmental is healing in and of itself. But after a while, you need more and your nervous system needs more. Um, so I love the reparenting work. I love things that require you to close your eyes and use your imagination because you're using a different part of your brain. Um, I love EMDR. I love somatic therapy. Um, you know, warm blankets, warm baths, anything to help and soothe your nervous system. Um, I'm a really, really big fan of. The other problem with talk therapy is that when you go in every week and you're telling your story over and over again, you're actually reinforcing those negative neural pathways and you're imprisoning yourself inside of a story. And what we want to do is we want to get rid of our stories. We don't want to walk around with our stories as our identities. Yes, these things happen. Yes, uh, they hurt. Yes, I'm still experiencing the fallout from all of it. Yes, it's valid. Yes, my inner child hurts a lot. I hold her a lot, a lot. This is not tough love. I don't believe in tough love. I believe in shoring ourselves up so we can rise to the occasion. And until I did the ayahuasca, I was not able to shore myself up to rise to the occasion of truth healing. I didn't have it in me before that. I was too afraid. Um, And I also realized that a lot of the stories I was telling myself about what happened were trapping me. And I wanted to tell some new stories now. And I want to create some new neural pathways now. 
And it's not an abandonment of the past and it's not an abandonment of the child. It's like a, hey, come along in my, in my backpack while we go on this new journey together sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because the kid comes with, the past comes with. Yeah. You can't, you can't get rid of that, nor should you want to. Picture but, those big backpacks that like, you know, dads take on hikes, or moms too. Just, let's be, I feel later. like they're backpacks that uh, people take on when they go to Europe. Yeah, yeah, the big ones. Hostel, the, hostel. It's like the child in the back. Yeah, you don't it's see insane. until they turn to the side. And you're like, oh shit, there's a kid back there. Would you call that baggage, Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> call it, uh, yeah, maybe. Well, some, <laughs> some, uh, some weight, some added weight. Some accoutrements for the, some sandwiches for the inner child on the journey. Yeah, but it sounds like that's at the heart of it. It's like not to negate the experience, yeah. but also at the same time not to feed it and let it take over your identity. Yes. Yes. It's a, it's a hard balance to strike. Mm. It's a hard balance to strike. And And imagine too, if people have decades of experience living in a certain way and feeling in their bodies a certain way, and this change feels like uh, terror. Yeah. It's a threat. It's a threat. Some people rather die than give up leaving the past. Mm. Um, And you know, um, it is, it is a balance and, you know, it's being like, Hey, we're gonna, I'm going to go and you're going to come with me and we're going to integrate this and we're going to make meaning of it. I think really there's such power in making meaning. There's a, AA has the best sayings in the world, by the way. Okay. And there's one of them says your mess is your message. That's good. If you want it to be. Your mess is your message. Yeah, my, my mom is uh, almost 10 years sober now. And uh, oh she's got a lot of zippy one-liners. That, that she's she got the best in town. I, I know. Like, That's good. That's really <laughs> good. It's a good one. I like that. Uh, I have a question. Like, for somebody listening and playing devil's advocate, that's like, drugs are bad. What, what do you mean? You're just giving people drugs. And... Right. Uh, you know, that's not how healing really works. Right. I'm sure you've encountered this kind of resistance because in my understanding, this kind of usage of psychedelics in a therapeutic context is like undergoing a resurgence, but it's still not mainstream. It's not widely accepted or talked about. It's kind of a tip of the spear in terms of mental health. Yeah. What would I say to them? Um, I mean, like, how do you... How do you address that? You know, I'm sure you deal with that all the time in the business sure. room. I don't. Oh. I don't because, <laughs> again, it was very clear in the beginning, don't tell them, show them. And gotcha. I think the right people receive the transmission because really it's not me. I really believe this. This is wacky, but I really believe that you don't choose to do psychedelics. Psychedelics choose to be done by They're calling to you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So if somebody doesn't feel called by the psychedelics, then they're not meant to do them. And, um, and I really, really want to drive home that psychedelics are not going to solve your problems. Yeah. That's a good caveat. Yeah. What, what are the caveats do I need to include in this so that people don't sue me? Oh, <laughs> 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 can they see what I'm saying? Um, I don't know. 
Who knows? I mean, we're both from well, America. Well, you're in Canada. Do lawsuits, like, are they a thing in Canada? I don't know. I'm like, I'm touching wood. I'm just right. like cautious yeah. of, I think it's important to say to people, like, what what is the grand caveat that you would give to a potential client coming in? Like, what is the standard? I think to assume that you're going to take this entheogen or this psychedelic and think that it's going to do all the work for you, you're going to, you may have one really mystical experience, but it seems to be one per customer with that attitude. And, um, and you have to put in the work too. Again, it's a partnership between you and the medicine. So no, psychedelics are not going to solve all of your problems. What psychedelics are going to do is give you the tools to solve your problems yourself. And I mean, it's a huge home court advantage you gain from doing them. You get to know your body. You get these like incredible messages. You get this like really high level wisdom that, you know, is really hard to get in touch with on the day to day when we're living in our monkey minds, on our monkey lives, on our devices. Um, but I also think that if you've tried everything and nothing is working for you and you feel uncomfortable in your body and you feel like you can't connect with people, it is something to consider. Now, that is planting a seed. If that seed doesn't grow for you, then it's not for you. Hmm. When you say you're not comfortable in your body, what would be? symptoms of that sure wow that's a there's a wide array of answers to that i mean it could be anything from not feeling like you can sit still you know those people that are doers right like they're just like task after task after task after oh my god like it's almost like adhd they're not comfortable in their bodies right and they're in flight mode or the people that can't get out of bed because it's just what's the fucking point? That's a different kind of discomfort in the body. That's a heaviness, right? Or um, fight mode. All this adrenaline running through you, rage. That's not comfortable to live with in your body. Or my favorite and least acknowledged form of trauma responses is fawn. And that's when you go into super people-pleasing mode. And I know you said a lot of your audience is women. And I know a lot of women have experienced a guy uh, making unwanted advances on them. And many of them, if they've had previous trauma in their lives, will go along with it or freeze. They can't say no. That's not their fault. It's literally in their nervous system to do that. It's like a, a possum playing dead right? You know, or running yourself into the ground, trying to please everyone around you, because if you don't, you're going to get abandoned. And if you get abandoned, you're going to die because that's actually what is encoded in our brains in the past. If the tribe rejected you, you died. You didn't have the protection of the tribe anymore. You would starve. So our brains have not evolved past that. So that's why if somebody breaks up with you, or if a friend abandons you, it feels like you're dying because it's encoded in there that you actually might die. Gotcha. And so this work that you do, it 
I love the idea that you are the medicine that you need. And it sounds like the use of the psychedelic medicine combined with the support from experts allows the individual to connect in a more significant way with what's really going on deep down. Dramatically. Dramatically. Fair summary. Yeah. 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 Dramatically. And for those listening, like what are some examples of changes that you've seen in clients? I mean, I saw on the website, there's some testimonials from like soldiers with PTSD and very significant mental health issues. But what have you seen? Any that jump out? You know, I know I gave that caveat earlier, (laughs) but there does seem to be uh, a population where they do kind of just completely come out of their depression and their anxiety when they might seen that like my depression's gone. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is, it, it, see, the mushrooms, they're adaptogens. So they what does have, that mean? it means they kind of, they like they adapt to the terrain, right? So like for somebody, they can take a the microdose and the microdose makes them really, really tired. Okay. And they call me and they're like, this microdose is making me tired. And I tell them, no, it's not making you tired. You're connected to your body and your body's needs for the first time. You're tired. And you're tired. It's like translating the message. That's all it does is it translates the message. And then so for some people, the microdose hits their nervous system and does a scan because it's sentient. And it's like, oh, this person just needs a fucking break. Let's give them a break. Let's make them feel good. That happens for a lot of people. And then for some people, it'll hit them and be like, oh shit, there's something unprocessed in here. And if it doesn't get processed, this person is going to get sick. We need to address this now, stat. Mm. So in those people, they'll call me and they'll be like, I have been crying nonstop since microdosing. And I'm like, great. It's working. Wonderful. Yes. It's different for everybody. There is no way to quantify um, how the medicine will work in a person. Now we have our blends. We have our focus blend. We have our meditative blend. These are just tendencies. These are just how most people react to them. Most people will be more expansive and more energetic and more happy on super expansive. But if you have something that's an emergency in your body that needs to be processed, it doesn't matter what strain they give you. It works in mysterious ways like the universe. It's part of the universe. Our bodies are part of the universe and they have a divine wisdom way beyond what we can comprehend because as humans, we can't see around corners. And once we do see around the corner, everything in retrospect makes sense. So it requires a lot of surrender to know that there's something around the corner that once you get there, everything will make sense in hindsight. Yeah, and you have to follow that intuitive hunch and trust and be brave to, mm-hmm. to fill out the form on the website or to make the phone call or go to the meeting or whatever. Yeah, for like, sure. I don't know why, but I'm supposed to do this. Thing. I hear that all the time. I like, it's weird. It came up on my Instagram or I heard from my friend and I just feel like I'm supposed to be doing this. And I like kind of chuckle inside because I just love how the mushrooms are utilizing Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. They're so smart. <laughs> It'd be so cool. I'm just projecting selfishly into the future. Like, wow, what if somebody listening to this right now 
sends me a message. It's like, I heard your podcast and I reached out and, and my life's totally changed. And I'm like, wow, all because like I sat in this spare bedroom and talked to this person for an yes. hour. Yes. Yeah. That's how it works. And you know what? You're just being used just like I am. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the mushrooms, they, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that they like, will like some, I, I'm butchering this, but like they set off a spore. It attaches to like an insect's head, a snail mm. or like a fly or something. And it makes them into a zombie. And then these kind of you've seen this, right? Yeah. And then they climb to the highest thing they can find, and then it explodes them, and the spores go out everywhere. Yeah. And the mushrooms just will like they are uh, shameless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of the exploding animal talk. But for somebody listening, that's like okay you know, how do I learn more? How do they get connected to you and what you do? What's a starting point? Uh, so the website is www.mycologypsychology.com. I would go look at the blends, look at our practitioners, and then under shop, there's like a form you can fill out where, you know, it's a consultation. Then you book a free like discovery call. And I just really want to put out there that it's not like you call and we're going to try to sell you on our mushrooms. It's really not like that. I don't want people to feel like if they call to talk to someone that suddenly they owe, owe us purchasing something. Hmm. Um, like it genuinely is just a free consultation. Yeah. We're here to help. Yeah. Sounds like something similar. Like when I have introductory calls with potential coaching clients, I legit say to them, like, there's a good chance that we're not going to work together because I know somebody that could help you in a better way. Right. Or like, you're going to think I'm crazy and I'm not going to manipulate your insecurities into buying anything. Like, that's yes. not what I do. Yeah. So you, you are just like, feel them like yeah. exhale. It's yeah. Like, oh, like, well, okay. You're actually you. on my side. Yeah. Actually give a shit, you know? <laughs> Because um, I imagine the work weird. you do also, there's people that you would come across that you're like, you're not ready for this. We're like, I don't think We've this is that. right for you. We've done like, that. Um, I just recently had someone contact me. They had a really traumatic bufo experience. And in my opinion, they were overserved. And um, I was like, I need microdose. And I was like, no, you nothing. Because the microdose can actually put them into more active reactivations. Mm. And for those that don't know, when you, when you t- do the toad medicine, a lot of the times afterwards, you'll have re- something called reactivations. A lot of times in the middle of the night where you feel like you're in the toad medicine again, and it can strike any time. And that's fine. And it's beautiful. But for someone that was traumatized by the bufo, mm. it's actually not a good thing. Um, it's just a re-traumatization over and over again. So yeah, that's like an example of someone I wouldn't give it to. Another example is someone who is, you know, suffering, not suffering or has schizophrenia. I don't want to say suffering, um, has schizophrenia or a really, really manic bipolar. The odds are really low that it could put them in a manic episode, but it's possible. We won't give it to anybody who is on lithium because it's a real contraindication that can cause seizures. 
Um, little known fact, you can microdose on SSRIs. Uh, there used to be this rumor, this myth out there that if you were on SSRIs, you can't feel mushrooms. That is absolutely not true. There's only a small percentage of people that experience that. Not everybody has that. And in fact, for people with the most severe anxiety, they can be very complimentary. Um, so I'm not like, you know, fuck big pharma. Da, da, da. Like, yes, the pharmaceutical company is extremely toxic. They overprescribe. They're very greed driven. But there are instances where people actually do need to be on some antidepressants. Uh, it can be life-saving things. So I'd say go where your medicine is. Mm. Well, thank you. This was great. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoy you. you. I really enjoyed this too. This was super fun. I hope it was okay. How did it, how would you rate it as like your first ever podcast? 11. 11. Out of, out of what? 10. Okay. Just clarifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, a, like 11 out of hundred. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, this was really, your, your presence is very soothing. Uh, you ask really good questions. I feel like you and I are kind of homies. You know, we, we had that first phone call a couple yeah. months ago and I was like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we'd be pals. Yeah. We're gonna be pals. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I hate the way my voice sounds. Why? Uh, I think most people do. Oh really? You don't? No, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just don't care. Like it's my voice, I guess. Well, I act, I used to. What do, what don't you like about your voice? It's we. I I don't know. It's just weird? odd. Yeah, it's odd to hear myself speak. Which <laughs> is funny because I speak a lot all the time. Yeah, all day long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think your voice is perfectly adequate. Oh, thank you. I was not fishing for voice compliments, but I'll take it. I'll and I'll take adequate. <laughs> <laughs> for a generally acceptable voice in my opinion thank you so much <laughs> all right cool yeah. i made you more podcasts then yeah 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 um i can introduce you to some folks if you want to try would, to make that happen i would i would love it i think i'm i think i like this i like sitting and shooting the shit with people and talking about life and what really matters um yeah you know and i think i don't know how we are on time but i just want to say that i think that's part of the reason i do what i do is it's real. Like you get to talk about what's really happening. And uh, for me, I've never really been much for small talk. I'm not that good at it. So, so you, you must have appreciated then when I was like, my first question was like, let's talk about your childhood trauma then. Ron. Did you see the smile on my face? You're like, we're <laughs> going there. I'm like, finally. Fuck it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I have nothing further. Do you have any other anything further? I have no further questions. No, uh, this was yeah. a delight. Um, I'm sure after we hang up, I'll be like, oh, I should have said that or I oh, didn't yeah. think about that, but that's okay. I'll um for those listening, I'll put links in the show notes to your website and your Instagram account. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And, and then yeah. yeah. And I just want to give another shout out to my sister who runs Anamkara Academy. Uh She's on uh, Instagram. She was my death doula teacher, and she's also an amazing healer. Anamkara Academy. Anamkara, yes. Okay, I can put a link to that in the show notes yeah. too. She's amazing. Um, she really changed my life, and I death is all the death stuff made sense after I met her. Yeah. 
you know, um, and I think death is our greatest teacher and our, our most underutilized teacher. You know, we have to rehearse for death by living life to its fullest. Mm. You ever heard of uh, Stephen Jenkinson? Of course. Okay. Good. I have like a little crush on him. <laughs> He's the, I had him on the podcast twice. Shut up. Are you serious? Yeah. I left Boob to meet him. Mary and I, we talk about it all the time. He's incredible. He's, He's incredible. A, he is truly on How did you level. Do that? I just asked him. Oh, weird. You asked yeah. when you get them. Okay, good. Yeah, I have this habit of just like, <laughs> fuck it, I'll ask them. I've had so many rejections. People, I think, presume like it's so easy to get podcast guests and there's just like a flock waiting to talk. I'm like, no, I'm sending out emails all the time. I'm sending like, out emails to people like Rome. No. <laughs> yeah. No, to like, oh my gosh, I've been rejected by everybody. Like, I'll get this hit of like, I wonder if they'll come on the podcast, Google them, send it to their website. They're like, famous you know way way outside my my uh target list i suppose but occasionally they're like yeah i'd love to chat and i'm like really okay yeah doesn't there's hurt to ask here there's bigger workings here and if they miss your being on your podcast then yeah. they're missing out on like you're just one of the most intelligent attuned people that i've met in the little time we've spent talking to each other um, thank so you I really appreciate Yes. Yeah, I remember you invited me to speak to your group and I just like ranted for 40 minutes straight. I was like, no, okay? oh my God, people were obsessed with you. Are you? And they were really literally obsessed <laughs> with you and you fucked up because now you're going to have to come back and like, it's a whole I'll come thing. back, yeah, anytime, for sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'll be, in, I'll be in LA in April if we, if you want to come. I would love that. Actually meet. I would love that. Okay. I would love that. I'm calling it. All right. Well done. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Wonderful, right? Especially for the very first time that you've ever been on a podcast, I would say that Rome absolutely annihilated that conversation in the best way. As mentioned, she's a psychedelic therapist with a rad business and a very innovative, forward-thinking model that I think will be the new paradigm uh, for many years ahead. I've included links to her stuff in the show notes. You can learn more about it. You can read up on her. You can book a free consultation in which she promises not to sell you stuff, which she mentioned in this conversation. And you can also read up on the various protocols and products that she offers. Again, I've not used this stuff. I don't know what exactly it is and what exactly is happening. So you know, do your own research, talk to Rome. Don't sue me. This isn't medical advice. This is just a couple of opinions and a conversation designed to inform and offer some perspectives to consider. Anyway, that said, I'm probably going to hit Rome up and be like, yo, I want to I want to try this protocol. This sounds pretty rad. But don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Tap into your inner truth, etc., etc. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I adore you. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful that you're still listening to my words after all these years. It's, uh, it's a blessing. I will talk to you soon.